Well, if you're still coming back from the bathroom or you've still got people around, that's okay. We'll just get started and they can kind of pick up when they come in. If you would grab your Bible, I want to show you. I've been telling you over and over, listen, it's not about evidence. It's about a heart's posture. And I want to uh, kind of give you another, yet another biblical passage where that's being illustrated. And this one, you'll notice, is all in red letters. This is Jesus who's teaching this, okay? If you'll turn with me, let's go to Luke 16. Let's see if we can make this work. Maybe. Ah. Oh, you can do it, baby. Come on. You can do it. I know you can. I know you can. I know you can. You can do it. You can do it. Maybe. Maybe a little bit to the side. Hold on. Maybe I'm not. I don't have it. Maybe it's. Maybe it flipped off. Here. Hey. Is that, is that you? All right. It turned. Yeah, well, yeah. He's picking up my slack again. This guy is covering my inadequacies, and I appreciate that, brother. All right, let's, uh, let's get into this. Get over here to Luke 16. We'll start at 19. I'll try to go through this rather quickly. This is the rich man and Lazarus. You're probably familiar with this. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. He, he ate the good stuff every day. You want... It's easier. Don't let him beat me down. Don't stray from the new King James, brother. All right, let's go over here. Let's try this again. Maybe a little easier text for the younger ones. All right. There's a rich man who, who was clothed in purple and fine linen and feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores. He desired to be fed with just what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And so he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. <laughs> Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in life man like manner bad things. But now he's comforted here, and you're in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able to, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Here's the interesting part. For I have five brothers, so that he might warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Here it is. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. That is the word of God. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead... They will repent. And he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone should rise from the dead. What is Jesus saying? It's not an issue of evidence. It's an issue of the heart. If they will not listen to this, it doesn't matter what evidence you show them. It doesn't matter if a man rises from the dead to talk to them. They're not going to believe it. And the reason they're not going to believe it is because the issue is with the heart, which means our evangelistic efforts have to start with prayer for the softening of the hearts of the unbelievers. It doesn't, it doesn't begin with learning a whole bunch of information reading a William Lane Craig book and saying, I'm ready, I've got the evidence. It begins with, don't, please don't read a William Lane Craig book. Just, just get something else, please. But um, it, begins with, it begins with prayer for our neighbors. It begins with prayers for the hearts of those who, they're hardened hearts, just like your heart was hard once. What happened? Well, probably a bunch of people were praying for you too. And the Lord in His mercy reached down and he grabbed a hold, and he ripped open your blind eyes. He gave you ears to hear the gospel. Okay, but I want to illustrate that. All right, let's, let's, uh, let's do this. I, I've got a whole bunch of different scriptures about that very thing, but let's go on. These are questions I often get about Noah's flood, and um, I thought, well, let's go over some of those tonight. Um, 
I, I, I've made a little slideshow here to have basically the most common ones that I get. Six or seven of the ones that I get the most often. Here's the first one. I, I tell people this. I tell them, listen, listen, Genesis is a historical narrative text. That is to say, the genre of that book is historical narrative. It is written to be a historical, an accurate historical account of what really happened way back in the day. It is not mythological. Okay? It's not a framework hypothesis. It is true, accurate history. And I often get pushback on that. Well, time out. You think all of Genesis is historical narrative. Well, yeah, I think it also uses figures of speech. Don't get me wrong. But, yes, it's a historical narrative. It was written to be a, an accurate history of that day and age. And so then one of the questions that I get is, wait, now time out. You believe Noah's flood really happened the way it says? Yes. Yes, I do. To which I get a lot of people, the ge geology professors holding on to an atheist worldview cannot allow that. Because if, if Noah's flood really existed, it would change up all the rock records and it, it does a, a real number on fossilization. So they're going to push back against that hard. What you're going to find out is there's really... There's really two worldviews struggling here, okay? The truth of the matter is every religion is based on a creation story, every religion. It's why Genesis is the first book. It's literally telling you, here's how we got here. Every religion has to, has to answer four big questions. The first one is, how did we get here? Every religion is, is based on a creation story. What you have to re realize is when you go to that school and the, the creation story that you're told is billions of years ago, there was the Big Bang, and then the, you know, the, the, the solar systems formed, the galaxies formed, and you know, the sun and its, its system, the solar system formed, and billions of years ago it was just a rocky crust on the earth and it rained on the rocks for millions of years and the lightning struck the water and that water came alive. And when you're hearing all of that, what you're really hearing is a competing creation story. You're not hearing science. You're hearing a different religion. Religions are based on philosophy. You weren't there. Nobody was there. So you have to have a story of how did everything get here. And that is exactly what Genesis is. And that's also what the atheist story is. Okay, so back up. Here's the first question I get when I tell people, yes, I believe Noah's flood happened. I believe it happened as it's explained in the Bible. I believe that had massive implications for geology that we have today. So, well, hold on, hold on. I heard these guys, William Lane Craig and Hugh Ross and these other guys, and they say, well, yeah, Noah's flood happened, but it was probably just a local event. It just the Mesopotamian Valley. In fact, I had a girl ask me that. I told you all a week ago I was at a church. Uh, they brought me in to just answer questions, had a lot of new believers. It was a really good time. Small group, a lot, a lot of new believers, and they basically said, hey, get them all ready and pepper them with your questions. And so the girl goes, now time out. I've heard that it was a local flood, just the Mesopotamian Valley. And I said, I know, that's the going thing for atheism. It, you know, Noah's flood wasn't global. It was, it was just, you know, the, the, the world that, that he knew. In fact, people like William Lane Craig and Hugh Ross and others will be very deceptive with the way that they explain the flood. They'll say, yeah, I believe in a global flood. No, no, I'm sorry. I believe in a worldwide flood. Oh, you, well, we believe the same thing. Well, no, it was worldwide in the sense that it was the world that, uh, that Noah knew, and that was what was destroyed. Okay, stop being deceptive. Let's not play semantic games. Just say you don't believe it as written, and I'll say I do, and that's what I'll defend. No, it was obviously, it has to be worldwide in scope when you see how it's described. Go ahead and go to the next one if you would. It says the waters prevailed 15 cubits above all the high mountains. How do you have that and it be local? Like the walls of water just stop? No, of course not. Water finds its own level. If it's prevailing over all the high mountains, it's everywhere. Here's the other one that's just a logical question. Remember, God told Noah, hey, you've got 120 years, get to building. All right? The days, the lifespan of man will be 120 years. That does not mean man's going to live 120 years. I have had people think that before. They're like, no, that's where God said the, the maximum lifespan of man's 120 years. And you're like, but, but if you read like six more chapters, people are still living more than that. No, that's not, that's not what he's saying. That's very commonly taught, but it's not true. What he was saying was, Noah, build a boat. You're on the clock. 
in 120 years, this place is done. The lifespan of everybody on this earth, except for those with you, is 120 years from now, get to going. Now, time out. If you're on the clock and in 120 years he's going to flood the Mesopotamian Valley, just move. Dude, walk. Nine months you're out. You don't have to build a boat. You sure don't have to send animals to be saved. Just send them out. It doesn't even make sense. No, obviously it's not a local flood. Here's the other thing. Can you go to the next one there? <laughs> if it was a local flood, that means God's a covenant breaker. Because whatever happened in Noah's flood, at the very end of it, remember, he put his rainbow in the sky and he said, this is my promise, I'll never do that again. If that was just a local flood, he has had lots of other local floods since then, then maybe God's just a covenant breaker. No, God's not a covenant breaker. He gives his word, he keeps his word, unlike humans. No, the truth of the matter is he flooded the entire earth and he said, I'm never going to do that again. Okay, let's go on. Was the ark big enough to hold all those animals? I love this. I love asking people because they'll tell me that. It wasn't big enough. You go, well, how many animals were there? I don't know. How big was the ark? I don't know, but it couldn't have fit them all. All right, well, they're all right in one sense. If Noah actually had to take every species of animal, obviously he would not have enough room on the ark. He didn't have to take every species. He took every kind of he didn't have to take two of every single kind. There were not two, you know, Dutch hounds or however you say it on the ark. There was not two, you know, Dobermans on the ark. There was, well, two of the dog kind. Like what? Probably something like a wolf today. We think that all, secular scientists think that all the dogs in the world came from about seven wolves founding, founding wolves. I agree. I just think they got the time scale wrong. Yeah, obviously, those two wolves got off the ark. They started reproducing. Those babies formed every wolf you can find today in every single place you can find them today. Yeah, obviously, I agree. Is it possible that the ark could fit all those animals? Go ahead. Well, it was a big boat. We've built bigger boats, but it was a very, very big boat. Uh, let's go on. It was in cubits, 300 by 500 by 30 cubits. How big's a cubit? Well, a cubit's from the elbow to the fingertip, so a, a cubit actually was different in different cultures because some people were taller and some people were shorter. Just like today, if we took cubit measurements, right, some of y'all would have very short cubits and some of y'all would have longer cubits. But even getting that, go ahead, even considering all of that, there are a lot of different cubits. So here's what I did. I took the measurements, I took right in the middle. I could have took a longer one. You know, I could have gone with the Persian, 21.37 inches. But even at just 20 inches, go ahead, using a 20-inch cubit, Noah's Ark would be 500 by 85 by 50 feet. It's a big boat. It's not the biggest we've ever built. We have bigger boats today, no doubt about it. Well, how could he fit all of those animals? Well, number one, it was a big boat. Go ahead and keep going. How could he fit all those species of animals on the Ark? Go ahead. Were there, how many, how many species were there on the ark? Were there 17,400 birds and 12,000 reptiles and 9,000 mammals and 5,000 amphibians and 2 million different insects? Hey, look at that. He had to take them all. No, he didn't. He was not told to take every animal on the ark. Now, I know you sang that as a kid in a little kid's song, but listen, I know this is going to break your heart, but just because it's a good Christian song does not mean every minutia of theology is correct, Okay. Right? You know, like we three kings who traveled so far, right? We don't know how many kings traveled. We just know he had three gifts. It might have been 30. Right? There are things that we learn in these songs that we sing that sometimes are not quite accurate. Now, okay, he took two of every kind of animal, but not two of every kind of animal. He took two of a very specific kind of animal. He took two in whose nostrils was the breath of life. He didn't have to take every dog. He just had to take two of the dog kind. Go ahead. Didn't have to take every cat, two of the cat kind. Go ahead. Didn't have to take every horse, right? Didn't have to take every breed of horse on there, two of the horse kind. I love this. This was literally, this cartoon was sent to me by a guy who was like, hey, can you please help me explain this? Because I don't understand how, how he could have done this, you know? He's like, I know this is poking fun, but I don't. Well, that's, a, that's an honest question. I said, well, he didn't have to take termites. Where'd Noah put the termites? <laughs> I, I literally had that crack. 
offered up to me at an FCA meeting one time. I was like, <laughs> oh, it was all I could do. I'm sarcastic by nature. It's, it's, if you're a teacher, it's a survival mechanism, man, okay? But I had to like, oh, Lord, 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 hold my tongue, hold my tongue. Well, he didn't have to take him, right? Because what I wanted to say was, <laughs> you didn't read the Bible very well, did you? No, he didn't have to take them. They don't have nostrils. He didn't have to take any bugs. No insects had to go. Go ahead. Nostrils, the ones that are terrestrial, the ones that live on land and breathe through nostrils, those are the ones that are in serious danger of dying over this flood. Listen, if you've ever been to a place that's had a flood, you ain't going to have a problem with bugs. <laughs> the bugs did not get wiped out. This is a cockroach. This is a big cockroach, I know. Uh, cockroaches and other bugs have spiracles. They don't breathe through nostrils. They have these little holes on the sides of their bodies. They breathe through that. That cockroach can stick his head underwater and stick his tail end up and bob around like a bobber and breathe just fine. No problem. But there's other animals that won't. He didn't have to take any of these. No sea creatures, no gilled animals. They didn't have nostrils, right? No salamanders, no crabs, no mollusks, no snails, all of that stuff. Go ahead, no amphibians. Instead, these are the ones. He needs, we have to take the ones that have nostrils and live on land. All right, now that we've got that done, there's another one. That's, I know, that's abusing the privilege, I know. But that's another one that would have been in danger of being killed. And so he had to take eight. Oh, you're going, I'm sorry, I know. That's, you can only have it up there for so long before it's disturbing. No, there was a maximum of about, and this is very, very conservative. The estimate is probably closer to 12,000, but we, we give a lot of grace and leeway and say a maximum of about 16,000 animals, and there's three decks. The average animal was the size of a chicken. It wouldn't even fill half the room. They had plenty of room for people, plenty of room for food. Actually, they had more than enough room. They had plenty of room. Had anyone ever repented from the preaching of Noah, there was plenty of room on that ark. There's a metaphor there that we could learn from. There's plenty of room. The room's not a problem. So how could all those animals get all the way across into the ark? Here's another one I get all the time, by the way. You're telling me, time out here, preacher man, time out here, Wilson. You're telling me you don't believe dinosaurs lived millions of years ago. I am. Well, that's crazy. Why? Well, everybody knows. Oh, do they? So that's how we figure out what's true. We take a poll, number of hands, right? The noses gets it. We just count them, count hands. Whoever has the most hands, that's what must be true. Is it, is it possible that the majority could be wrong? If you don't think so, I've got a country I want you to study from World War II. Yes, it's possible for the majority to be wrong. And yes, I do believe that dinosaurs lived with man at one point. So you're telling me, wait, time out. You're telling me you think Noah took them on the ark. Correct. Not every one, two of every kind. Now listen, today when we find a same kind of animal with just a little bit of different variation, we give it a different name because we want to be able to have the credit for something, right? So there's all kinds of triceratops out there, and they're supposedly different species. They're not different species. They're all triceratops. They, they, you know, they change a little bit. Imagine if we did that today. Longhorns and shorthorns and Watusi. Anybody ever seen the horns on a Watusi? How about if we just said all of those were different kind of animal because they have different horns? That's crazy. Okay, so not all of the you know, fossils that we have are so distinctly different that they would not be the same kind. All of those would be the same kind of animal. So we didn't have to take a gazillion different dinosaurs. But he definitely took some dinosaurs. Not all of them, but some of them. Well, time out. How are you going to get this huge, massive Brachiosaurus, this massive Tyrannosaurus, how are you going to get that on the ark? Okay, please remember that the whole goal of the ark was repopulating a new planet. Reptiles grow their whole life, all right? When you see a big reptile, whether it's a snake, a turtle, whatever, when you see a big one, you're seeing an old one. If you're wanting to repopulate a planet, you're not taking the senior citizens, right? You're not taking the biggest dinosaur you can find, you're taking the young ones, the little ones, I mean, just you know, make sure one's pink and one's blue. But other than that, they don't have to be massive. They don't have to be huge, and they wouldn't have been. So yes, obviously they would have fit. And that's also why you get the same question that I get is, well, they would have eaten them. They would have eaten all the people. Like, 
Really? That, you know, a T-Rex is two feet tall going to eat you? I doubt it. You can, you can defeat that with a walking stick. I mean, a tiger is not a problem when it's a baby. It's when it's 500 pounds that you need the steel bars between you and it. Okay. I have another one that's always asked to me, how could all those, those animals walk across? There's oceans. You're telling me they walked across the ocean? Hardy, har, har. Like, yeah, the, the land looks that way today. But the landform we have today was not the same as they had. All right, I say it all the time. I say, hey, Pangea was probably a real thing, but the timeline's wrong. Yes, it seems that the scripture seems to indicate, if you go to the next one, <coughs> seems to indicate let the waters under heaven be gathered together, which means they were touching, and let dry land appear, which seems to indicate that it's touching. Okay, so think about it this way. I say it this way. I think that Pangea was a real thing. I think it broke apart during the flood. Yeah, today you can't walk to every other landmass, obviously. But the land today is not what the land looked like in his time. So yes, I think they all walked just like God said. Okay, let's go. How could the entire earth be repopulated from just a few of those animals? Well, it's incredible. Uh, go ahead. Um, it's incredible how fast uh, animals can reproduce when there's nothing, there's no pressure, there's no selective pressure. So I'll give you another one. This is not up there. I should have put it in here. There was some um, scientists in Hawaii, they have a real problem with feral hogs. Do we have problems with feral hogs up here? Maybe not. In Oklahoma, southern Oklahoma, where I'm at, right next to Texas, it's something that's a, it's an issue. And if you live in Texas, it's a real issue. Um, so they did a study. They said, well, let's find out how, how long it would take if there was nothing there, no selective pressure. Right? There's no other organisms that they're having to compete with. These are the only pigs in the area. Let's take two and breed them. And, and based on that, let's see how long it would take to get to a million pigs from just founding two pairs. Do you know what they said? This is not my work. This is the secular scientist who says it would take about six years to get a million hogs because there's nothing there in the way. Well, think about what we would have after Noah's flood. There's no selective pressure. There's There's nothing. These animals are just breeding, if you will, out of control, right? Why? Because there's, there's nothing else out there. They're the only ones there. So yes, you can absolutely repopulate the earth, and you can repopulate it a whole lot faster than at one time we thought. One more. Why don't we find fossil human evidence then? If all these creatures died in the flood, I say this, most of the creatures that we're seeing today died in the flood. The, the fossils that we have today are the result of they died they were buried very rapidly by sediment. Then, of course, we make the fossil. It used to be, well, fossils take millions of years. That's another one. I've... Don't you know fossils take millions of years? Well, that's interesting. So who sat around and watched the fossil for millions of years to see that's what it took? What? Oh, nobody. So, again, this is just a philosophical bias. And we're counting that as scientific evidence now. Are we? Is that how science works? No. We can make fossils in less than a week in the lab. We've done it in studies in less than seven years. A bunch of guys in uh, Japan, it's a hot springs, and they take a whole bunch of sticks and bones and some other things. They tie them onto these, this metal wire. They, they suspend the wire in this hot springs, and they leave it there, and they come back and check. And there was bones, bones and sticks that were fully fossilized in seven years. That's in the secular literature. Now, how come that's not in the textbook? We discovered that in the 90s. Why is it not there? Is it possible that there's a narrative they're really trying to push? And anything that pushes back against it's not going to be shown? Maybe. Why don't we find human fossil evidence? If all those people died in the flood, shouldn't we find people? Well, remember, I told you Romans 1.18 says they will suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Why don't we find it? Because... There are people actively suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Let me give you a few. Here's one. Here's a handprint. This fossil handprint was found in 110 million year old, supposedly, Cretaceous limestone. By the way, that's before humans were supposedly evolved. So now we've got a real problem. Either that limestone isn't nearly as old as you say it is, or there was humans who died in this cataclysmic event, and we have evidence. Here's another one. Here's a fossil human hand. Again, 110 million years old Cretaceous rock. Here's another one. 
This one's kind of near and dear to my heart because we did the uh, science of this in Oklahoma City. I actually have met this guy, Dr. Dale Peterson. This is a fossilized finger supposedly found in a 100 million year old limestone rock. 100 million years, huh? And humans have been evolved for about 3 million? Okay, yeah, that sounds good. He, uh, he actually did the verification himself, took x-rays, MRIs, whole nine yards, to find out, oh yeah, this really is a fossil. This really is the real deal. Go ahead. Did x-rays, CT scans, and MRIs. It's, never gonna make the, it's not going to make your textbook, though, because it upsets the narrative. Let's go on. Here's Malachite Man. We have 10 full skeletons that were found of Malachite Man in Lower Cretaceous Dakota Sandstone, supposedly 140 million years old. Why is that not in the textbook? Because we're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, that's why. Why don't we find those human fossils? We do, but it's suppressed. All right, let's go on. What are some other great evidences of Noah's flood? I told you earlier, more than 270 cultures around the world retain a flood, ed, uh, a flood legend that mirrors the biblical account. Here's a few of them. Here's some books on it you can actually get from Answers in Genesis. Pretty cool stuff. You can get it for your kiddos. I suggest it. One of them here, Hawaii. Hawaii says long after the death of, I don't know how to pronounce his name, the first man, the world became wicked, terrible place to live. There was one good man left. His name was Nu'u. Built a big boat, filled it full of animals, saved his family. You heard something like that somewhere? Sure you have. Here's another one, the, the Chinese legend. They think their, uh, their culture descends from a man named Fuhai. Uh, who they consider to be the, the they, they, Fuhai escaped the flood by building a huge boat and filling it up full of animals. And he and his, his uh, wife, his three sons and three daughters, how interesting, his eight people on this boat full of animals. Where would they get something like that? Mm, I wonder, right? Lots of others. Here's the Toltecs. They said the first world lasted 1,716 years and was destroyed by a great flood. Only one family named Cox Cox survived. Guess how they survived? They built a big boat. They got in it. They filled it with animals. How weird. I've heard something like that somewhere. 270 cultures retain these flood legends. Go ahead and go down to that blue one there. Number two, marine life. Marine fossils, that is sea fossils, found on the tops of the highest mountain ranges. You can find fossil ammonites everywhere. Find them in the Rocky Mountains. Find them in the top of the Andes. You can find them everywhere. They should not be there. You know what happens when you ask the scientists, hey, why are these here? Once upon a time, a long time ago, there was a local flood that covered this place. Why is it that all y'all have the same story? Why, why is it always a local flood? Is it possible that all of those floods happened at the same time? No, 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 no. Why? Well, because the Bible says that. That'd be just too much evidence. We've got to suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Here's what's big about these. Here's five, uh, 500 giant fossilized oysters found two miles high in the Andes Mountains in Peru. That was a real big find. Hey, this is awesome. Here's what's so big about them that people aren't, aren't catching. Notice they're in the closed position. Why do we care? Because when oysters die naturally, the, the muscle that holds those two shells together actually relaxes a little bit. And the fish come in and they eat all that stuff out. And the two pieces of the shell fall apart. And you go to the seashell, you go to the seashore, the seashore, you go shells on the seashore, and you gather these little pieces of only one side at a time. These are closed, which means they must have died very rapidly. They must have died by being buried by wet sediment before they could die naturally, very fast. Hmm. I know an event that could do that. People forget that if there was this great giant flood of Noah's time, you'd still have tides. The moon would still be out there. Those tides, all of the sediment becomes wet because of the warm water. Those tides are going to cause the sediment to move. You would have underwater like landslides off of some of the cliffs. If you have fish or whatever hanging out down there or dead animals that are close enough, you're going to have a whole bunch of things covered by sediment very rapidly in an anoxic environment, which means they are not going to degrade. We're going to have rapid fossilization. Here's the next one. Three, bent sedimentary rock. You cannot bend sedimentary rock layers. They break, right? You ever tried to do that? You take your little hammer, smack that piece of slate. If you think 
you can bend that sedimentary rock. Go to your favorite uncle's house. He's got the pool table that's got the slate on it. <laughs> Give it a shot. Your uncle's going to be really impressed with you when you're done, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to break. You know how you can bend sedimentary rock? You lay down a whole bunch of rock layers in a big, huge flood, and then you have upheaval and uplifting events, and those things bend while they're still wet. If you don't do it while they're still wet, you don't get bending, you get breaking. If you do push around on it while it's all still wet, like you know, the psalm says, the, the, water, the, the mountains rose up, the water sank down, or the uh, valley sank down, the water rushed off. It's talking about the flood. Hey, if that really did happen that way, then we would get bent sedimentary layers like this. Oh, man, I've got to... All right, I'll, I'll try to be fast. Multiple rock strata that lack erosions. Hey, listen, if all of this, this rock layers were laid down millions of years at a time, what's the chance you're going to have an entire rock layer that didn't rain? Nothing stuck its foot into the dirt and disturbed it? It's all laid perfectly on top of each other without disturbing. I'm, I don't buy it. It's, it's hydrologic sorting. What does that mean? It was, it was carried there by water. Really, really big flood. Uh, number, let's go to number five. Fossil evidence of rapid burial. How fast, how fast were these things buried and fossilized? Well, before they could digest their meal. This is in Hayes, Kansas. Sternberg Museum, you can go see it. That's why I took the picture. Like, hey, this is one we can use, right? Oh. Cyphactinus fish. Uh, here's another one. Six dinosaur cells have been found unfossilized. Since 2005, multiple times, we have found uh, flexible blood vessels. We have found um, ligaments that were still flexible. We found red blood cells that were, that were still viable. You're going to tell me. Those cells sat around in that rock for 65 million years. I'm sorry. I don't believe it. I just, I'm sorry, I can't. Finally, last but not least, number seven, C14 found in coal and diamonds. This is a really cool story. Listen, if you want one good physical evidence that the world is not millions of years old, learn about radiometric dating. It's always the thing that people want to trot out. They think it's the golden bullet. And I love when they trot it out because I'm like, oh, dude, you just, you signed your checkmate, okay? Here's why. C14 breaks down very quickly as far as radioisotopes go. Maybe I should back up. All right, so up in the atmosphere, we have carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide gets radiated by incoming, you know, radiation, sun's radiation. And some of it turns into, instead of C12, which is normal, some of it turns into C14, okay? And that C14 will break down at a rate of about one half-life every 5,730 years, which means if you have a pile of 10 grams of C14, supposedly, 57, 30 years, you'll have 5 grams. 57, 30 years, you'll have 2.5 grams. 57, 30, you see where I'm going with this? It's a half-life every time. Now, here's the thing. That's pretty fast if you believe that the Earth is billions of years old, and here's why. If the entire world was made of C14, in a million years, you'd have none left. You'd have nothing detectable left. There should be no C14 in anything that's 100 million years. There should be no C14 in anything that's billions of years old. And so nobody had ever tested it. Nobody had ever tested coal or diamonds or other old rocks for C14. Why? Well, it's obvious they're not going to be in there. They're too old. So a whole bunch of scientists, PhD scientists, get together and they go, you know what, we should just test it just to see. They get together, early 2000s, they grind up a whole bunch of, they get a whole bunch of coal samples, and they go, you know what, if we do it ourselves, people won't believe us. They'll think we're stacking the deck because we're Christians. Let's have it done by a college that is not well known for being, you know, favorable toward Christianity. So they send it to UC Davis, Southern California, not a Bible college. And they say, we want you to run these tests. Hey, why? We, there's, it's coal. There's not going to be any C14. I know, I know, I know. But we'll pay you. Just run the tests. They don't get any word back, so they call back. They're like, hey, how come you guys haven't called us? Tell us how the tests... Well, we, we, we must have done the tests wrong. Interesting. Why is that? Well, because we found C14. There can't be any C14. These things are too old. Oh, how interesting. Well, why don't you go ahead and test it? They tested it three times because they thought they were doing it wrong. Then they send it back with the results. Not only was there C14 in the coal, they tested three different layers, and some of which are supposed to be, you know, millions of years older than the other ones, and they got basically the same amount of C14 in all three layers, which tells me all those layers must have been laid down at about the same time. I don't know. I've got an idea. Maybe in a worldwide flood. 
So then they decided to test diamonds because older diamonds are supposed to be, some, some of them are supposed to be more than 4 billion years old. Same answer, no, we don't need to test these. There's obviously not going to be any C14. They're diamonds, blah, blah, blah. They test them again. Guess what? C14. Oh, they're billions of years old? They got C14 in them. Oh, oh, you got a problem. There's a lot of other problems with radiometric dating. There's an entire whole thing that I do just on radiometric dating. Um, but we don't have time for that. So let's do this. That's just my, I don't know, I'm, it, I'm throwing a whole bunch of stuff at you really fast, and I'm sorry. I talk fast. I'm sorry. How about let's do this? Let's just be done with that. If you have any questions, shoot them at me. Now's the time. Promise I won't be mad at you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, yes, sir. Okay. Oh, you're recording it. Ooh, I'm in real trouble. It is. Do you get some pushback for Yeah, sometimes. Not a lot of times. I mean, the, the, I think there's a certain way you have to go around it. So we have to go about it. So one of the ways that we do, and see, I say, the question was, is the school I teach at a public school, and do I get pushback for this? Yes, sometimes. Anyway, uh, sometimes. I'm not going to lie, we get cagey about it, man. So the, the lady that teaches uh, earth science, she'll come down to my room. She's like, listen, I think you know more about this than I do. So I don't know if that's true or not. She's like, would you be willing to step in and teach about radiometric dating? I'll switch you classrooms. I'll watch your class. You give them an assignment that I can you know, watch them for, like a reading assignment or doing an article or something, and then you just come over to my room and teach on this. And I'm like, deal. So that's what we do. And I tell them, I don't believe this nonsense, and here's why I don't believe it. And here's, let me talk to you about radiometric discordance. When, oh, we just know that rock must be billions of years old, and we go and test it, and it's not. Here's another one. We have radiometric discordance. We test it with one isotope. It has one age. We test it with another isotope. It gives another age. We test it with a third isotope. It gives another age. We also have times where we know how old the rock is. Mount St. Helens, we know when it blew up. We know what rocks were deposited then. We know we should test these, and these rocks should test at less than 100 years old. They test at hundreds of millions of years old. Yeah, but it can't be right because we saw it. So it's, it's one of those, like, when we know the age of the rock, it doesn't work. But if we're not sure about the age of the rock, it, rock, it is assumed to work. Well, that's not good science. That's, you know, bias. But yes, I do. I get pushed back. Usually it's from uh, parents every now and again. But uh, I say this, I, you know, I'm going to make hay while the sun's shining. And one day I'll probably lose my job for it. But until then, I'm going to make hay while the sun's shining. <laughs> the other thing is, the other little dirty secret, I guess, about public education is it's really hard to find science and math teachers. Like, we're like 1,800 science teachers short just in the state of Oklahoma. So, and I have all five of the, of the certifications. So I could teach any science K through 12, so, I mean, you can fire me, but it's not hard for me to find another job. It's gonna be really hard for you to find another guy. Does that make sense? So that's kind of one of those, so, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're doing your job, if you're teaching science in the meantime, our, our, our students scored four times higher than the state average last year. So it's really tough to go, listen, man, we're gonna get rid of you over this. Why is that, because our test scores are too high? Is that, is that the problem? Okay. You see where I'm going with that? So I think if you're doing your job, the other thing is, you know, I have administration, though, that's supportive of that. I have two administrators, the, the um, superintendent and the, the high school principal, that are very committed Christians. And their, their policy is kind of, I want you to talk to these students about Jesus. Don't tell me about it. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So that's kind of how we roll. Any more? I got one for you. Bring it on. I appreciate you asking this question, even though you know it. It's a good. Oh, you don't know? I figured. No, okay. Well, I'm sorry. This guy basically made me what I am, so I just always figure, well, you probably wrote it too. 
So, which is a really good question. I actually get that one fairly, fairly commonly. It's, it's, it's a good question. But what we see in the beginning of Genesis is God makes all the animals, he makes all the plants, and he says the plants are the food for everything. And so what I would say is it seems to me that the vast majority of these things that are carnivores today probably were not carnivorous at the time. Here's the other one that we forget about. We've had you know, thousands of years of natural selection since then. Right? The, the animals that we see today are not the animals that Noah took on the ark. Where, where did he put the tigers? Tigers probably didn't exist yet. Where did he put the lions? He may not have had lions. He had the cats that he had at the time. I mean, it's just like we have breeds today, right? I mean, if you're looking back in history 200 years ago or 300 years ago or, hey, in the Middle Ages, how come people didn't have Labrador retrievers? They didn't exist yet. You see where I'm going with that? So on the one hand, number one, he didn't have the same animals that we have today. Number two, originally, those animals that are carnivorous were not, just like people. Right? Before the flood, people were not told to eat meat until after the flood. So... Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because you can see, I think you can see even in the biology today, you can see the vegetarian past, if you will, popping out. For example, mosquitoes suck blood, but not all mosquitoes. It's just the females. And they do it because they need the iron and some of the protein for their eggs. Male mosquitoes live their entire life on nectar. Well, is it possible that the nectar in the garden was higher in protein or higher in iron? And so they didn't need to, to suck blood? Well, that's very possible. So a lot of these animals that have the diet that we see that animals have today is not the, animal, or the, the diet that they had back then. And, and you got to remember, there's others. there are a lot of animals that can eat meat that just choose not to normally. You can feed fish to horses. They do it in Scandinavia. They'll put it in barrels, and that's how they basically, instead of a salt lick, they'll put salted or sometimes pickled fish into barrels, and they'll let their horses eat that as a supplement, supplemental feed. Well, horses do not normally eat meat. So there may be a lot of animals today that were not meat, meat eaters yet. I'll give you another one. Uh, cats. Cats today, I'm so sorry, I, I, I go on way too long. Cats today are obligatory carnivores. They cannot make one specific amino acid. That they, ca they cannot get that in, in food other than meat. So they have to eat meat because their body can't synthesize that one amino acid. Well, that's actually because in their genetic code, there's a mutation in the gene that would have allowed them to make it. We have that gene. Same thing for humans. We have to eat vitamin C today. We probably did not always have to do that. There is a mutation in the middle of the gene for making vitamin C. Some mammals can make their own vitamin C. We can't. So if we don't eat vitamin C, we're going to get scurvy. But it probably wasn't always that way. So a lot of things have changed. The other thing to remember, the other takeaway about that is that mutations do not make people into X-Men. Mutations make everything worse as a general rule of thumb. They, make, they change the diet that you have to have, obviously. So, yeah. So, I'm, I'm sorry for... You ask a question and it's like, I've got this fire hydrant has to be released, you know, and I'm sorry for that. What you got, brother? Oh, yeah, I saw a debate between a creationist and an evolutionist, and the creationist said, please explain to me the evolution of male and female. How did the evolution of the genders come about? And the answer was, well, it's kind of one of those mother may I steps. That doesn't seem like a good science to me, just on its face. There's not a good answer. The answer that you're usually given is, well, it was co-evolution. It happened at the same time. Okay. What you just told me was they both had to be together at the same time without actually giving me a mechanism for how that happened. I don't think it's a good answer. You know, that's, I have a friend, uh, I shouldn't say, we're not close, but he's a guy that I know that's also an apologist who wrote an entire book just on the evolution of male and females, Brad Harab, The Evolution of Man and Woman. And it was very, very, it's the authoritative work on it in my, my opinion. And he, he shows that, hey, evolutionary science cannot answer this question. You have to have them from the beginning or you don't have a continuation of the species, you know. So, yes, sir. Uh, 
So you're talking about the, the meteor supposedly that hit in the uh, Yucatan Peninsula? I don't know. First of all, we assume it was a meteor strike. We don't know. It's just a big crater. We assume a lot of things about it that may or may not be true. It may have been something that formed during the flood. It may have been a meteor strike. It may have also been a meteor strike during the time after the flood when you had a lot different... Um, you had ice sheets and ice layers. and We believe, so when I say we, I mean Christian apologists, believe there was one ice age. It was right after the flood. I think the flood had a lot of very warm water. There was a lot of volcanic activity. There was a lot of tectonic plate movement, and that made warm water. Warm water drives up evaporation. Lots of water goes into the air. You make big clouds. You cover up a lot of the sun's rays. It gets a lot colder. You actually would end up having what we call hypercanes, big, big hurricanes of snow, basically. You'd have an anise age. So the, back to your question, though. I don't, I don't know. I don't take a dogmatic stance on what that was, when it happened, or what the outcome was. Uh, it, it is something that, what's interesting is, it is in like most of the textbooks, that's what killed the dinosaurs. But in scientific literature, there's about, I don't know, at least 20 different theories that are going around as to what actually, what did kill out the dinosaurs. So it's, it's interesting on the one hand, because the textbooks say, well, this is the reason. But on the other hand, when you actually ask the scientists in the field, that is not, it's not nearly as dogmatized. Yeah, go ahead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, so a lot of times I have people ask, like, why did the dinosaurs go extinct, right? Good question. But the, the other question is, like, well, why do other species go extinct? Why do other species go extinct? Today, the average is seven extinctions, supposedly anyway, seven extinction events per day. Well, that's a lot of extinctions. So why do those things go extinct? Well, their food source got destroyed. Um, they, have a, they, they couldn't compete in the environment they were in. Uh, there was a sickness that went around. A, a good example is the cheetahs in Africa. All the cheetahs in Africa, we think, are related to only about eight. And so there's a really big push to, like, let's save the cheetahs because they're so closely related. If we get one virus that'll kill the cheetah, it may kill all of them. Right? So you ask, the, you ask those questions, and then you ask the evolutionists, so why did the dinosaurs go extinct? We don't know. Well, yeah. The flood did it to, it may not have made extinctions, it may have, but it certainly culled much of the population. I think a lot of the larger dinosaurs probably went extinct for the same reason that bears basically went extinct in most of Oklahoma. How many bears lived in Oklahoma 200 years ago? A stinking lot of them. How many live there today? Not very many. Why? Because, listen, if you have a man that's worth his salt, He's not going to let some animal that could literally kill and eat his family. I mean, it's, it's me or him, right? And, you know, where I'm from and where I live now, I mean, one of the ways that you show everybody how big and tough a man you are is you go kill something big, right? I have a friend that just shot and killed the number three bear in the world. <sighs> Makes me so jealous. <laughs> He's getting it mounted and stuff. Where's it going? It's going in his classroom. How come? Because those guys are going to know, Right? Well, that probably happened 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 1,500 years ago. Uh, on, the, uh, on the Welsh flag, right, you've got St. George killing the dragon. Looks very much like a dinosaur. Couldn't be a dinosaur, though, because dinosaurs didn't exist with men. Oh, okay, okay. But we have this fairy tale about St. George killing this dragon, this dinosaur, and he's emblazoned on the flag, but there's, there can't be any truth to it. Well, maybe there was. So is that... Is that get at it, or I may not give you a satisfactory answer. So, any others? I may not have a good answer, but I'll give you what I've got. All right. Yes, sir. Pert, please, bring it on. Hey, listen, I, I think if we were actually being um, biblical about it, I think they would. But you got to remember, the word dinosaur didn't exist until 1841. So it's like, well, how come I don't find dinosaurs in the Bible? Dude, the KJV was written in 1611. And the word dinosaur, right, so dinosaur, terrible lizard, big. And, and 
The other thing is like a lot of things that we call dinosaurs are not technically dinosaurs. Technically anything that was swimming in the water or flying in the air isn't actually a dinosaur. They're their own thing, so those are pteranodons, these are, right, so. But I, I, I think so. We've talked about that before, like, man, this thing, look, it looks like it. It's massive. It, it, would, it, would, fit, it would fit the, it, the only reason we don't call it that is because we find it today. Like coelacanth, right, the fish, the lobe-finned fish. Oh, the coelacanth is an extinct kind of dinosaur, if you will. And we were told it was extinct for 100, it was lived 125 million years ago, and then we find it in a fish market in Japan in the 30s, right? And we're telling these guys, like, hey, that, that thing's extinct. Where'd you get this at? Oh, it's extinct? Oh, sorry, I just caught it out there, you know? And so we go and take it, and, hey, 130 million years, it should have evolved a long way, and we don't find any evolutionary change. But, again, that doesn't make it into the textbook, because that doesn't fit the narrative. Sorry. Well, I would say, oh, absolutely. I think, I think there were, yeah. There's a, there are a lot of similarities. There are some that are supposedly identifying characteristics, like the way that they have scales and scutes and all that good stuff. Yeah. So this is from your Bring it on, all right. Yeah. How could they prove the meteor Yeah. That was, that's the thinking in, in a lot of the textbooks. It's, well, all of the big animals died, and that, that, was, that was what gave rise to the mammals. You know, you killed off all of those dinosaurs, and now the mammals can have their time to take over and think, dude, listen, look at man. Man is a tool maker. You can put whatever large, big thing out there and give man enough time. He will he'll dominate it, and there's a reason for that. God told him to go do that. That's exactly what happens, you know. I mean, sorry, sorry, get off on a tangent on that. Any others? Going once, going twice. All right, I'll tell you this. I did get permission from the soup to go set my telescope up on the football field, the big the practice field. I said, hey, it looks like there's a little shot put pad there, you know, ring, and go set that up. He's like, yeah, go for it. So I probably, if it's clear enough tonight, I might go do that. Or I don't know, we could set it up here if you want to. I know it's getting late, but 8 o'clock, figure maybe, maybe we can catch Saturn or Jupiter or a couple of things, point out some constellations, something like that. Sound good? Is that, is that cool? How do we, you want to come up?